You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Or what? That is incredible. I love, I love that. How could you not watch that and just crack up watching that? You know, I, I think, uh, does anyone do stuff like that when no one's around still? I am not ashamed to say that really dumb things make me laugh still. Um, I mean, I, I spend most of my time doing student ministry and working with students, so I think that may be part of the job qualifications. I don't know. But I'm a, I amaze myself at the simple things that, you know, I can laugh at. But it's, um, it's nuts because I think everyone looks at that, and it's like you have this moment where you're laughing with this baby that's ripping the paper and all of that stuff, and we all kind of, you know, can connect with that. But it's just, then it's kind of sad because it's like, oh, we don't laugh at that stuff anymore. You know, we're in this series called Rise, you know, rising above the fray of the world, the darkness, all the earthly stuff that just kind of sucks the wind out of us and takes the giggles out of us, you know, uh, takes the fun out of life. And I think all of us can identify with that, you know. There's that stage of life when everything's just awesome and funny and pure and great. And then you start, you know, like tramping around in the dirt of the world a little bit and it just it has a way of just dragging you down. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like you go to you go to work and you go to school and you're just out there and the world's broken and just tough sometimes and you stop giggling at little things, you know? And that's why kids are so fun to be around because they tend to see the simple things. They send, tend to see the awesome things and we can kind of borrow that for a few minutes when we're around them and kind of like jump into their world and see things through their eyes. But in a, in a way, it's kind of sad that we lose that, you know? Um, but really what we're talking about this whole month is, is how to recapture that joy. Where does that joy come from? Even that joy that we're seeing there that is so simple, what is the root of that joy? And is there a way that in the midst of a culture that's just broken and tough to deal with, is there a way we can rise above that darkness and that drag and kind of capture that joy again? And I think that one of the awesomest things about the Word of God is the more we dig into it, the more handles we get uh, for how to do that. And we can get glimpses of the fact that, yes, it is possible to, to stay above that, to rise above that. And I was talking to um, David Kennard, our associate uh, adult ministries pastor, about this message and about Philippians 2, and we were just gabbing. And we've often had conversations about how having kids kind of like highlighted how selfish we were, you know? Uh, you know, you start out and you're, you're single, it's just you, and all your decisions only affect you, and you can kind of do whatever you want, and even the dumb things you do, really ultimately, in your mind at least, you think, well, this is only hurting me. You know, and then you get married, and um, you know you're, you go to a restaurant when you get married, and you're sitting there, and you're, you order, and there's this other person, and you, t- you know, Shelly, I love Shelly. Shelly's awesome. My, she's my wife. She makes beautiful food, or but uh, real early in our relationship, I remember going out to restaurants, and you know, I, a guy wants to. Most guys, I think a lot of guys, they just want to order a plate for themselves, and not have hands reaching toward it. You know, and <laughs> I remember, like, we would go, and, you know, we're trying to figure this whole relationship thing out, and, and we'd have this conversation, oh, what are we going to get? And, you know, and some couples are all about, like, the, hey, let's order different things so we can share or whatever. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I want to order something, and I want to eat all of it myself. And so, so you know, we would go, and she'd say, you know, you want to get French fries? No, I'm not going to get any French fries or whatever. Okay, are you sure? You don't, get, you don't want any French fries? No, no, I'm fine. I don't need to get French fries, you know. Now, what happens? The fries come, it's like, and then the hand comes. Oh, it's just one, it's just two. And, you know, 
I think women probably get frustrated with this all the time. I don't know. And I think most guys are like this. Like, I think we all just kind of want there to be a force fielder on our plate. Because most guys, like, don't mess with my food. Don't mess with my plate. I just want to eat it. But then, then you have kids. And then there's, like, all these hands coming in. Like, you'd swear there's, like, 18 hands coming in when you don't even have that many kids. And I remember we'd, we'd get a dessert, and it's cute and nice and financially great to be able to, like, get a dessert to share. The forks have, like, sparks flying off of them as, as people, and you, you're like, then you feel like you're pulled into the fight. Like, I gotta get, I gotta get a piece of this, right? <laughs> so you're fighting with, like, your elementary school students to get a bite of a brownie at a restaurant. I'm like, this, this is not the kind of life I want to live, you know? Um, but it just highlights when you, when you have these other people that are in close quarters with you, you just think, man, like, I'm, I'm kind of a selfish person when it comes down to it. You know, I, I think selfishly, I, I act selfishly, I, I, I eat selfishly. And it is kind of disturbing that I don't get a chance to come up here and do this uh, a, a whole ton of a lot on Sunday mornings. But I was thinking this morning, I was like, I talk about food with these guys a lot. I'm going to have to work on that. I'm not sure why that is. But uh, how many of you guys have been to Sorgel's uh, farm or whatever it is out out uh wherever it is out there um we we went as a family it's you know it's farm where you go and do the pumpkins and the cider and all that stuff's a real fallish thing to do and and we went there and i'm just thinking about food and how selfish i am we went and uh and a lot of times when when one of us gets up there and we say something i'm about to say people are like oh i'll I'll do don't you don't need to make me i'm just sharing with you right don't make me a pie or bring me anything okay i love blueberry pie right so we walk into this uh this little bakery area and and they're cooking up all these great pies, and Marion, Marion, working in the back there, baking pies, she's doing good work at Sorgles. I need to go on their Facebook page and, and tell them to double whatever she's making, because they had these blueberry pies, and I was like, oh, I want one of these, and so got one, and we took it home, and you put a little bit of Briar's natural vanilla ice cream with that, heat it up, and the, the microwave just, it's, it's fantastic, right? Well, what happens is, and if you live in a family, you know how this works, like you got a whole pie, and that starts getting cut down. And then it comes to the point where there's one piece left. And usually it's at night sometimes. And you walk in, and there's the box there. And you're just, it's just you and that pie and Jesus. <laughs> and you got decisions to make at that point about what kind of, what kind of person am I going to be right now, right? Am I going to eat this last piece of pie? No, I just got through telling you how selfish I was. I am, I am proud to announce now, at least, at least one little battle. I did not eat the last piece of that pie, all right? I won one small battle in the large one against selfishness because I didn't eat it. And um, someone actually came up to me after last service. One person, out of all the people who are sitting in there, actually came up and said, who got it? <laughs> you want to know who got the last piece of pie and he doesn't even know it? Chad Zolo. <laughs> Chad Zolo got the last piece of pie. He wouldn't have taken it if you would have known that, but Chad, actually, if you were wondering, you're going to come and ask me. He got the last piece of pie. Um, but I think we can all connect with that selfish part of us. Like, we're all that way. And you can't really deny it because companies market to it. You know, they sell to us based on our desire to please ourselves. Uh, politicians uh, appeal to it. Um, our whole culture appeals to the selfish side of us because it's really just a common understanding that we're all selfish. All of us. And there are a couple lies that come along with that that we buy into just by our nature. There's this lie that if I get what I want, if I gratify myself, then I will be happy. I'll be content. I will have joy in my life if I get what I want. And that's in a, a million different ways. If I have the relationship I want, if I have the things I want, um, if I feel this way, then uh, everything will be fine. 
And then there's the other lie that's part of that that says that if I don't get what I want, I'm going to be miserable. And that I need to take for myself because no one's going to take care of me. No one's going to do it for me, so I have to stake my claim and I have to get what's coming to me because everyone else is just looking out for themselves. And those two lies lead us down this path of self-gratification. If you really think about it, and you look around at your own life, and you look around at people in your life, since when does that path of just pleasing yourself all the time ever lead to anything great? You know, since when does uh, selfishness make families better, you know? Since when does selfishness make a workplace a better place to be in schools, wonderful playgrounds, like orderly and neat? Selfishness really, if you really look at it, just wrecks everything. It destroys marriages, it ruins families, it ruins workplaces, it causes people on the playground to throw things at each other. From the, from the earliest age all the way up to the end, selfishness always wrecks everything. Even after people die, selfishness wrecks family because they clamor for their things. This thing just wrecks us. And when we start to realize that, we start to, to, to realize we have a choice. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, I can be selfish or I can be selfless today. You know, what's my posture going to be toward the day? What's my attitude going to be today? Am I going to be selfless or selfish? And we have to ask that question because it certainly doesn't come naturally. So, so really, the question we're going to grapple with here just for a few minutes is, can we really find joy? You talk about uncommon joy, uncommon places. Can we find joy in the incredibly uncommon place of selflessness? So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, we'll start there. We've been in the book of Philippians. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. There's this rejoicing theme, a joy theme, which is very interesting coming from a guy, Paul, who lived a life that most of us would not want to live. Um, he's, a, he's an example that the answer to that question uh, is, yes, we can find joy in selflessness, because Paul demonstrated that, living in dire circumstances, liber- literally sacrificing everything, having everything stripped away from him. He was still so incredibly full of joy. He knew what it meant. So he's this great example of what that means. And I was also thinking about Philippians chapter 2, and, uh, and, and you can turn there in your paper Bible, your electronic Bible. You can follow along. We have uh, in the U version. you can follow along in your app and kind of follow the outline for today. Um, I was thinking about Philippians chapter 2, and there's a lot of passages in the Bible that you can just talk about and take a lot of explanation and deep thought. I was thinking about Philippians 2, and I'm thinking, man, this, this could just kind of speak itself. This, this chapter is so blatantly clear. There's some very profound things in there, but somehow so hard to live out. Every day. There's some real cringing uh, things in here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul starts out and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from the, the love of Christ, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if you have any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Now, let me just stop there just for a second. So he's saying that out of your relationship with God, the more you pursue God, all of this really cool stuff should just kind of be happening in your life. You should be getting comforted. You should feel this joy and this, this Holy Spirit kind of peace in you. And all these great things should be kind of just oozing out of your life. And he says, if you have that happening, if you're experiencing something that's eternal and better than temporary, better than getting your own way, can you just sacrifice some things that aren't so important and just be like-minded with one another? Can't you just cling to the eternal stuff that's really awesome and lay aside the things that cause separation and just be in unity with each other and enjoy those things? And he goes on to say, um, if you have all these things, 
He says, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. So he's talking about unity here. Sacrificing what you want for the joy that comes out of just being at peace with people. Having relationships that are whole. uh, Having um, cohesiveness to your relationships. So you can get what you want and have that joy. Or you can have this really rich joy that comes from everybody being connected to each other. Um, and doing the same thing and having the same love. And then verse 3 is like a bomb. This is one of those tough ones. There, there are a couple of them in here that are just blatant, and you're like, man, I, I wish you just kind of would have left these ones out because these are just so hard to do. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. That would, it would be a lot easier if that little tiny verse just was not in there because that is plain. There is not a person in this room that doesn't understand that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That could help you solve a lot of things, if you think about it. A lot of decisions that you make, and I have conversations with people all the time, and I have my own dilemmas I face sometimes. If that was the first question you asked yourself, some of those decisions would be made for you. Am I doing this out of selfish ambition, or am I not? And according to this, it's clear then what the decision should be. If you have to choose, he's saying do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why? Because it causes disunity. It separates people. It tears down oneness. So... He goes on, he says, rather than doing that, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Again, very clear, but you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. It's churchy stuff. Uh, You know, it's nice. Just treat everyone nice. Okay, here's how hard that is. Think of the biggest jerk you know. Don't say their name. (laughs) Think of the person that you can't stand being around, the person that annoys you, the person you would cross the street to get away from. The person that makes you miserable at work, the person you're mad at, value others above yourselves. Wow, that's hard. And you know why that's so powerful? It's because if, if we do that and value people, and especially those people, above ourselves in humility, that is going to change the way we look at them. That kid that sits next to you in study hall or that person that, at work that you can't get there, you have to see him every day. You have to talk to him. If you start switching your mindset and valuing them above yourselves, you will, it will affect the way you speak to them. It will affect the way you treat them. And then you have life change happening. Then atmosphere starts to change. And then relationships change. So just this one concept right here has massive implications for daily life. Verse 4, he says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, what if everyone did that? What if everyone was just concerned about everybody else? You know? How, how awesome would that be? So the thought there is that selfishness really does wreck unity. It wrecks unity. It wrecks healthy relationships every time. Selfishness wrecks all the good stuff every time. There's no exceptions to that. Selfishness always is the sledgehammer that ruins everything. And you'll find the joy in selflessness when you begin to experience unity. You make the sacrifice, you're like, I'm not sure I should be doing this, and you start being more selfless and trusting God in that area, and then when your relationships start to become more healthy, maybe not easy, but they become more healthy, you start to say, boy, that does feel, like, there is joy in that. I feel good about that. It's better. It's healthier when you start to see that oneness and those healthy relationships. And let me just pause right here and say, like, the student ministry person just kind of like comes out sometimes. And when I look at this whole thing about selfishness wrecking everything, let me just say, I would say this is the issue that just breaks me to smithereens every week. As hundreds of kids pour through the doors of our student ministry, I look out and see 
colossal brokenness, almost 100% due to the selfishness of other people in these kids' lives. We try to medicate it. Let's give them a pill because there's something wrong with them. We'll fix it by this way. Or they need a therapist. Or they need, they need that. You know what they need? They need a bunch of adults that understand the power of this and are willing to lay down their desires in order to do what Christ wants and help their kids grow up to see it. We love telling them what to do, but you know what they need? They need to see it in our lives, see it in our marriages, see sacrifice, see giving, see selflessness, see looking to the interests of others, and then they'll be inspired to do it themselves. Powerful concepts that can heal relationships and heal families. So verse 5, he goes on. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude in mind that Christ Jesus had. And we think, you know, oh, God had, you know, he was Jesus, and he had all this stuff that we didn't have, and it's just Jesus. He was supposed to be like that. He's saying, we're supposed to have the same mindset that Jesus had, because he dealt with the stuff we deal with, relationships and just living daily life in a world that's pretty tough. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So Jesus wasn't out clamoring for his own rights all the time. He just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And Paul's pointing that out. Verse 7, he says, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does selflessness mean? And where does this joy come from? Two words just jumped out at me in that little part there. Servant and death. <laughs> Two words that we would never associate with joy, right? To, to experience that joy, to be selfless, we have to become a servant. And, you know, it's so hard for us to do this. You know, we think of servants, you know, at restaurants when they come. Servants at restaurants don't come up to you and say, well, how would you like your steak done? You say, well, I'd like it done medium, please. Well, I really don't like that. I think I'm going to give it to you rare because that's just what I want today. Um, what would you like to drink? I would like a Pepsi. Well, I like iced tea, so I'm going to bring it to you that way, Okay. No. They don't do that because they're servants. They, they know that that's not what servants do. Their job is to serve, and so they come to bring you what you order and what you want. Well, what if we lived our lives the way Jesus did and came to be a servant? Well, you don't understand. I'm at this stature in life. I've achieved these things. I built this from the ground up, or I have this income, or I'm the leader over this thing, or these people. Jesus was God. That's what it said. And he chose to be a servant uh, why? Because he loved the people he was serving. Shouldn't it be the same way with us? Shouldn't we strive for that? It's hard to do. Then there's that death part. Wow, like, that's, that's real hard. Self, joy in death, joy in that kind of selflessness. But look what Jesus' death did. He died to heal us. He died to take the punishment for our sin. So his sacrifice blessed others, and that brought him joy. And, and so the concept there is if Jesus can be selfless, we can too. You can be selfless too with Jesus' help and with him as the example. And, and you'll find that joy in selflessness when you're willing to follow Jesus' example. When that switch flips inside of you and you're like, okay, God, I'm willing. I'm no longer going to assert an attitude of selfishness. I am willing to follow your example by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. With the Holy Spirit's help, you can do this. You can give yourself for God. You can give yourself up for his purposes. You can give yourself up for the needs of others. It can be done. Jesus shows us that. So he says in verse 9, Therefore, because he did this, because Jesus agreed to do all this and he did all this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
That, the, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Basically, what that's, what that's saying there is because he did this, God made him the man. Like, totally the man. The biggest, baddest, awesomest man ever. And it's interesting that the terminology there is that God exalted him. Jesus didn't exalt himself. God did. And that's an important thing to notice there. See, we live our whole lives trying to get ourselves on the top of the heap. We feel like we need to strive to exalt ourselves, to promote ourselves, to advance ourselves. And we really don't trust anyone else to do that. And we, a lot of times, don't trust God to do that. But when it comes down to it, God promotion is better than self-promotion. God promotion is better than self-promotion. Because I'll tell you what, you can't do what he did there. Only God can really, he knows how to promote. And when he decides to do it, it's way better than anything we could do for ourselves. So instead of trying to advance our cause and our kingdom and our agenda all the time, wherever we are, if we would just focus more on, on being selfless and advancing God's agenda, which is better for everybody, and we focused on advancing the agenda and the plight of other people, what starts to happen? God starts to work, and then we start to experience joy over that, that we got to be part of that. See, that connection between joy and selflessness can be tough to get there, though. So he goes on in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you look at that and you're like, fear and trembling? Like, that doesn't seem like it fits with what God wants us to have. The point he's trying to make is that as we approach, approach spiritual growth and we're trying to figure out who God is and figure out how to live— it shouldn't be with this mindset of arrogance or I know so much or I'm so mature. We should approach our spiritual growth and approach God humbly, with humility, with brokenness, and, and with caution. And say, you know, God, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. And this, I want to grow, but I'm, I'm just, I'm trying the best I can. I don't want to be prideful or arrogant. So that's the way you should approach your spiritual growth. And so uh, he goes on there. He says in verse 13, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his purpose. It's God who works in us. So the good stuff in us is from God. God is the reason for the good stuff in you. So if we can let go of the fact that we need to be the ones that produce everything, we need to be awesome, we need recognition, if we can stop for a second and say, wait a minute, God made me. And the good in me, my gifts, my abilities, my talents, all the great stuff in me comes from God. It springs from him. And that kind of frees you from the need to do that yourself. It's all him. It's all, it all goes to him. So all the glory goes to God. The attention goes to God. And it's okay for us to not have what we want. Because really the good stuff that comes out of us is really from him anyway. And you'll find that joy and selflessness as you start to deny yourself. And as you start to deny yourself, you'll realize that it's really God working in you, and you're going to stand back and say, wow, look at the stuff he's producing in my life. Look at his goodness. Look at what he's giving me. Look at how he's letting me be a part of all these awesome things. Man, that's joy right there. It doesn't have to come from me, and I'm okay with it. So verse uh, 14 is another one of those huge, like, boom verses. And it's very short, and again, it would just be so much easier if it wasn't there. Verse, verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Yeah. You know what my problem with that is? My problem with that is, I'm like, can I just keep the grumbling? 
Like, it's just a noise, kind of. Like, can I not just be like, and that's me. I, I'm that guy. Like, when, when, my, when I can't say it, I'll, I just like stew, or I'll go in the house and be like, you know, just kind of be cranky and grumble about it. And he's like, nope, nope. No grumbling, no arguing. Don't do it. That whole attitude is what it represents. Like, don't do anything. Grumbling, arguing are, are out of place. And, and if you read on there, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, if you read your Bible, and as you, as you kind of get acquainted with your Bible and read it, old, first part of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, this language that Paul's using here is very, very similar to the language that's used in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, to describe God's people, the Israelites, when they were wandering around in the wilderness. They, it says that they were grumblers, and they whined, and they complained, and they argued. Why? We don't have enough food to eat. We want meat. We don't want that kind of meat. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Why? We want to go back to Egypt. It was nice there. It was warmer there. It's cold here. And they're just complaining, complaining. And Moses is like, God, I can't do this. God's like, I'll kill him. He's like, okay, don't do that. So there was, this whole, there was this whole people that was just like complaining and grumbling and, and arguing. And we read that in the Old Testament. We're like, what jerks they were, you know? Like, how could they be like that? You, you read it, we read it, and we're like, man, I would never be like that. Really? Like, don't we whine and argue and grumble a lot? And if you think where a lot of arguing comes from, you think where a lot of fights come from, you think about why we get angry about things. I just had this conversation with a student the other day about anger. We were talking about the fact that most anger, most anger, kind of has its root in selfishness. Because we get angry because we don't get what we want. And then we fight with people, and we grumble and whine and argue and complain. And we don't see ourselves as that person, but we become that person. And then we grumble and argue and complain so much, we start to push people away. And here's what's scary. If you haven't adopted a disposition in your life where you let others feed back into what you appear as, you can get trapped in that world. Because you stiff-arm people, whenever they come at you and criticize you, you'll be like, hey, you know what, I'm kind of seeing this in your life. And you're like, ah, ah, no, no, no. People stop wanting to tell you. And then you're just that person that everyone thinks is a grumbler and a crank and arguer, complainer, and no one wants to tell you about it because you're not open to hear it. When was the last time you asked the people that are closest to you how you come off? How you present yourself? When was the last time you asked people at work, you know, you come out of a meeting, how, how, did, how did I come off in that meeting? How did what I said, how did it sound, how did it feel to you? You probably surprise some people if you do that. Go to the closest people to that know you. Like, how do you am, I, am I like this? How, how am I? God uses that to feed back into us, and then we start to realize, well, maybe, maybe I could be better in that area. Maybe I could be more selfless in that area. But he says that we, we don't argue, we don't grumble, so that we become blameless and pure, children of God in this warped and crooked generation. And the reality is there that when you adopt this, this mindset and this attitude that I'm not going to be selfish, I'm not going to be a whiner, I'm not going to be an arguer, I'm not going to be a complainer, I'm not going to be a drag, all of a sudden when you start doing that, you start standing out in school. You start standing out at your workplace because the truth is the culture, our culture is permeated by that. And so people look at you and they're thinking, this kid is not like that. Th- this person is not like that. What, what's different about them? And then he uses a really cool metaphor that I love. He says, if you do this, in the, in the rest, uh, the second part of verse 15 there, he says, if you do this, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
So just you adopting this mentality of selflessness will cause you to be in a shining, stars in the sky are easy to see, so bright. Not because you're holding on to your words and your way. What are you holding on to? You're holding on to God's word, his way. And you're just letting that shine and influence people and affect people. And he's saying it will. And people will be drawn not to your light, because remember, the good stuff comes from God. So then they're drawn to him. And then their lives are changed. Why? Just because you were selfless. And someone's life gets changed because they were drawn to Jesus. That's how it works. And it does work. So the more selfless we become, the more the world will see Jesus. The more selfless we become, the more the world will be able to see who Jesus is and see beyond our selfishness. Now, on the contrary, when we as the followers of Jesus become this grumbling, arguing, whining, complaining, cranky people that can't get along with each other and we're always trying to get what we want and see things our way, who wants to be a part of that? No one wants to come and be a part of a church like that. No one wants to be a part of a community of people like that. But if we do what Jesus wants, if we, if we live the way he wants, then you blow that up beyond an individual. What if a group of people was like that? Well, everyone's going to want to be a part of that group of people. That's Jesus' plan, is for all of us to live like that so that the world will be what it was created to be, and it starts inside of us. You'll find the joy in selflessness when you play your part. When you play your part in God's kingdom, You'll find that joy at looking back and going, I'm doing my thing that God's given me to do, and I'm really enjoying being a part of all of this and seeing what he's doing. This is really good, and it makes me feel fulfilled. There's joy in purity, denying yourself what you want. There's joy in shining for him. So the last thought he leaves with here, verse 19, that seems uh, just like a greeting that he says, which it kind of is, but or a parting thought to them. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And Timothy was a guy that Paul was kind of raising up in ministry and teaching him like how to do it and all that stuff. And so he says, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Verse 20, which I found this very interesting that Paul would say this about Timothy. Huge compliment. I have no one else like Timothy. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests not for those of Christ. So Paul says, I'm going to send you the guy that is the most selfless. I don't have anybody else like this guy. He's so selfless. I know when he shows up, he's just going to be all about you, and he's really going to care about you, and that's what you need. You know what that said to me? It was like, wow, Paul knew a lot of people, a lot of awesome people. But somehow the selflessness that Timothy had was hard to find, even among followers of Christ. So true selflessness True selflessness, true humility, true compassion are difficult to find. Difficult to find. You'll find joy in selflessness when you stand out from the crowd. Hard to do, but there's joy in it. So the thing today that I want you to walk away with is very simple, and I think this is one of the major things that that Paul would want us to walk away with. Find joy in selflessness. Find the joy in selflessness. Look for joy not in self-gratification. Look for it in selflessness. And you'll find it. You'll find it. Find fulfillment. Find peace by denying yourself. Why? Why, why am I denying myself? You're doing it for God. You're not doing it for anybody, anybody else. So what if my selflessness is not recognized? It's not accepted. You're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it as an act of worship to God. So you're taking all your selfish desires and you're going, God, I trust you. You made me, you made this world, I'm going to lay all this selfishness, I'm just going to lay them down at your feet and trust you that that's the right thing to do. Whether or not anyone around me is cool with it or understands it or wants to praise it or not, I don't care. It's about you. 
Why else do you do it? For other people. You lay down your selfishness on the altar of God so that other people can be blessed. Not so you can have, so that they can have. So that other people can have the blessings that God wants them to have. So that other people can experience what you've experienced and what God's given you because everything good comes from him. So find the joy in selflessness and the, and the massive question there is, are you living a life of selflessness? And the temptation would be to look at that question and say, whoa, I'm living a life of selflessness in these areas. But then we want to keep a couple because we're like, you know, I, I, this is my thing. I got to keep this. You know, I deserve this part. Are you living, the question isn't, are you doing it kind of? Are you living a life of selflessness that people look at and they can see that light shining? Or are you just doing it in a few areas and that's, you're just content with that to do it a little bit? Powerful question. Can you be more selfless? How? This week, how could you be more selfless? Big question to ask yourself. Imagine the power of this. Imagine a school full of selfless children. Some of you guys work in schools. (laughs) Imagine a playground with all selfless kids on it. You probably wouldn't even need, like, aids out there, right? Imagine a workplace where no one there was selfish. Everyone was totally selfless and just looking out for other people. Wow, you're thinking, boy, that would change everything. Like, I would love my work if that was the place it was. What about home? Some of you guys live in homes. What if your house was a place where everyone was striving to be selfless? Man, that would be, our house would be a place of peace then. Our house would be a, a haven. It would be awesome. That's what, we, that's what I want my house to be. So, and if you, you look at that and you can see why this works and why God wants it so bad. He wants the world to be able to be like that. He wants your home and your workplace, but it starts with you. And if you think about the people in your life that have blessed you the most, aren't they the selfless ones? The people that you want to honor, the people you can't wait to like pump up and put on a pedestal, the, the people that you can't wait to bless, aren't they the ones that give the ones that are selfless and put themselves last. If you think about at funerals, when, when, when people are spoken about so highly as being these incredible people of legacy, isn't it the selfless ones that get that kind of treatment? That leave a legacy behind for others and didn't clamor for everything for themselves? Those are the ones that we want to be like. That's the legacy we want to leave. So where will you find your joy and what will your legacy be when it's all said and done? Why don't you guys bow your heads and as you do that, I want to ask you a question that hopefully you'll think about and maybe come up with a, a very, at least one clear answer there. What is the next step for you? In, in, in reading the scripture and hearing this, what's the next step? Because this can be overwhelming when you're like, oh man, I'm not living a life of selflessness. I stink. The, the goal is not for you to leave here thinking I stink. The goal for you is, is to leave here and say, okay, I may not be like the big selfless, but I, I can start somewhere. I can start pointing my life in this direction, and what's the first step in that journey? What's the first step that you can take this week and this month to become a more selfless person? You won't get there overnight, but what's the first area that you need to address? And how can you invite God to be a part of that area? I want to pray for you, and my hope is that as I pray for you, and then after I'm done praying, we're going to worship. 
for a little bit. The worship team's going to lead us, and I hope you'll use that as a time to kind of start a conversation with Jesus about this. You'll start a conversation with God about this. The Holy Spirit may be kind of talking to you or putting some things on you right now that you need to start talking to him about. Some of you are here, and I want to pray for you because honestly, the God thing, you're still up in the air on the whole God thing. You're here because a friend brought you or someone said you need to come to this church or your parents dragged you here or whatever. But you're here and you're at least considering it. Let me just tell you that if you give him just the slightest bit of an open door, he can't wait to make himself real to you. But we have to let go of all of that pride and that selfishness for God even to reveal himself. So if you're here, I want to encourage you, if you're here in that state, to just give him a chance to show himself to you. Just invite him to come in and put down that that stuff that you're holding on to and just say, God, if you're real, I, I want to give you a chance to make yourself known to me. I mean, if it's true that you died on the cross for my sin, then this then you're worth knowing. You're worth checking into. I, I, I want to know who you are. Will you reveal yourself to me? Give him an open door and let him show you who he is. Maybe you're here tonight and your prayer is, God, today and and your prayer is, God, forgive me because I have not been living a life of selflessness. For whatever reason, I've been kind of being, I've been okay with a level of selflessness, but I have not been pushing myself. Maybe you're here and you're just seeing all these areas the Holy Spirit's showing you that you're just selfish. And you're thinking, man, maybe God's trying to tell me I need to to move to the next level. I've got to let this go. I've got to lay this pride and this, these areas of selfishness. I've got to lay them down for the good of God and, and others. So maybe it's just an I forgive you thing. And honestly, some of you may be in here, and that's a big deal to you because you have made some serious mistakes in the past. And your selfishness has cost you and other people huge, huge. And so today, you, here's a chance for you to step out from under that guilt and that burden and let God take that off your shoulders He can't wait. The thing that's awesome about Jesus is he can't wait to just forgive you and let you move past that and restore your hope for the future and give you a chance to move forward with a different attitude and a different posture. Let him forgive you. Let him take that burden off of you. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, this is all great and I agree with it, but it is so hard to do this. You don't know what my work's like. You don't know what I go back to. You don't know the people in my life. This is so hard. I do know that. Because I'm right there with you. Maybe your prayer is, God, give me strength. Holy Spirit, can you give me strength? Because this is going to be a miracle if I can pull this off. Will you give me strength to do this in my home, in my school, and with my group of friends, in my workplace, in my family? Help me, God. Give me strength. Jesus, I pray for everybody that's in here today, including myself. God, I pray for, for those who are here and they're considering opening the door to their life to you today and they're nervous about it. I pray, God, that they would have the courage to open their life to you. And as they open up to you, God, that you would just change everything, flood them with how real you are, your love, your joy, the fulfillment, the hope, the peace that comes with you, the forgiveness. God, I pray for those who are asking for forgiveness, maybe right now as I'm praying, that you would let them feel your love and approval washing over them that the past would be the past by what you did on the cross and that they would be able to step into a new future with renewed hope and vigor to live differently. I pray, God, for those who walk into situations every day that this is so hard to do. Help them. Help them, God. 
to have the strength by your Holy Spirit to actually live this out like you did, Jesus. We give ourselves to you. We lay our selfishness on the altar. We lay our pride down before you and pray, God, that you would break loose in our lives and let us experience the joy that comes from selflessness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand? Will you stand? And I, please use this, this last worship song as, a, as a, a prayer to work some things out with God. And if you come into a church like this sometimes and you look around, you see people like raising their hands and stuff, and you're like, what's that all about? I'll tell you what, at times like these, sometimes I can't help but just throw my hands up and go, God, you gotta take this. You gotta take this off of me. I'm open to you. So, so if you look around and you see people doing that, there's a good chance that they're just trying to open up a channel in their lives for God to come in and heal some things. Maybe just express openness toward God. Let's invite him into this very difficult place for the next few minutes and hopefully leave here continuing to do that. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.